So we are in the book of Acts, and I guess this technically is not the half point in terms of chapters, but I think it's about the halfway point in terms of length. <laughs> so we're about halfway through our, our, our study in Acts. We're in Acts chapter 12. We're starting to really cook with gas here. We're going through like a chapter a week now. You know, the beginning stuff, we were doing some, some uh, nitty-gritty details and talking about some of the things that were happening. But we've seen the gospel go from the Jewish people to Samaritans to Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. We've, see, we've seen the gospel go to everybody, Gentiles, Jews, everybody. And that's where we're at in the story. So now it's just kind of cooking along. And this is a really great time to see the sovereignty of God and his work to see the hills, the mountaintops, and the valleys of, of God's people. And this is a, a time to see that even though these apostles and these people of faith and acts seem so incredible, I mean, they almost seem untouchable, like Peter, Paul, not Mary. Peter, Paul, and Mary. There were a lot of Marys. There were a lot of Marys in the Bible. There was a real shortage of names back then. There's like three different guys named James in, the, in, the, in Acts. Uh, and so you're trying to figure out which one are they talking about here. I don't know if there was like a, a, a famine of names, but they just didn't have the variety that we have today. But uh, we see these giants of faith, and sometimes we think to ourselves, I don't know if I can fully relate to these people. But I think today, uh, and if you look for it, you can see they're just people like us. They're living a special time when God is doing a new thing, they're people just like us. They have disagreements, even among Christians. They have relational difficulties, even among the leadership. They have, we saw last week, just everything was so great. They have, uh, uh, they, they have faith and they have lack of faith. The whole gamut, the whole human experience is there to, to be seen if you look for it. So my hope today is that you will uh, take heart and know that the grace of God not only covers your sin, but can use you, even though you are, all of us, less than ideal and perfect vessels, right? Uh, the grace of God is, is incredible. From day to day, from week to week, you think to yourself, how could God use me? How could he continue to speak through me? How could he A, B, and C? He can by his grace. It's his plan. And he delights to work in the midst of human weakness, in fact, uh, his strength is made perfect in our weakness. And that is, that's the truth that I know personally and uh, I see in the scriptures. So as, as we go into our passage today, I wanted to, as I was thinking about framing this uh, chapter that we're going to be reading, which is a story of what God did, uh, the Holy Spirit brought to mind Philippians chapter 3. It says, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And the part I want you to zero in on is this phrase, put no confidence in the flesh. This is something that was just on my heart as I was thinking about today's passage. So I did a little bit of a word study. The word confidence, to believe, to listen to, to obey, to yield to, to comply with, to trust, to be confident. That's pretty self-explanatory. That's a pretty good translation. But this says we're to put no confidence in the flesh. So what's the flesh? This is our human nature. You know, we're, we're living between the fullness of God's kingdom when Jesus sets everything right and, and, and the resurrection of Jesus in this age where the kingdom is coming, but it's not yet here in its fullness. 
That's why we pray your kingdom come, your will be done. We're, we're praying for God to bring his kingdom in fullness. But at this time, we have both a, uh, a nature that is under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We also have an earthly nature or a flesh. And the flesh is translated as just plain old human nature. The earthly nature of man and woman apart from divine influence. And therefore, prone to sin and opposed to God. There's something inside everybody, Christian or not, that just is, it's in rebellion. It's looking, you know, even the, even the most amazing saintly Christian you can imagine has this impulse within them. Uh, we call it the flesh. And uh, it's not uh, fully influenced by God, and it's prone to sin, prone to wander. You ever been just so, so depressed because you have this amazing experience with God, you're walking, you're doing quite well, and then you just are discouraged to find that it's still there, the traitor within. And Paul describes it. He says, there's something within me. Uh, the thing I want to do, I don't do. The thing that I want to do in Christ, I don't do. The thing I don't want to do, I find myself doing that. What a wretched person I am. Who will deliver me from this? Jesus Christ. A lot of people say, uh, that was before he became a Christian. No, no. This is his experience, and it's all of our experience. We all struggle in this kind of way. And uh, the Bible, as we see from, t- from uh, the Philippians passage, says, we are to put no confidence or trust in our nature, our thoughts, our ideas about things. We should always have this humility saying, you know, it might be a little twisted. Let's face it. I better pray about this. I better look into the scriptures and see what God has to say. It might be twisted. There's a good chance of it. And so it's saying, just don't put your confidence in that. Put your, and, and I love the, uh, I didn't really see this until I thought about it, but he talks about boasting in Christ Jesus. That's such a humble thing to say. It's like, it's like the uh, John the Baptist, he must increase, I must decrease. You know, when we boast, we boast in what Jesus has done in our lives. For real, we, we say, this is clearly the work of God. And we don't put confidence in our flesh. And I think that every good sermon... I'm not saying this is a good sermon, so, you know, don't put that pressure on me for it to be a good sermon. <laughs> I think a good sermon, the ones I leave feeling very, not just like that was a good word, but encouraged and uh, desiring to draw nearer to God when the sermon's not happening, those kind of sermons. A good sermon should always end with having more confidence in God. Like, wow, his love is greater than I thought. His forgiveness is greater than I thought. His grace is deeper than I thought and less confidence in yourself. And I think that that's a pretty good place to be. I think that uh, that puts you in an excellent position to live your life wisely. I think that a good sermon should remind us not to place too much confidence in ourselves, or hope in ourselves, or even to take ourselves too terribly seriously, like, you know, the fate of the world depends on me and what I do. Um, and to put that in God alone. A good sermon should remind you to be humble and trust in the work of God. Today in Acts 12, it's a story of people being people, Christian people working towards getting with God's program. And we see, really, it's actually quite funny, if you have eyes to see it, just a funny human story, but something we can really locate ourselves in. And in a story, I hope you can see where God moves and works through just a little bit of human uh, faith. But not only does he move and work through that little bit of human faith, he moves and works 
independently of that. He's greater than the human work that's happening. He's working in, in all these different dimensions. But when people pray and seek after him, it's just God's nature. He's pleased to work in that system. That's what he desires. If God wanted the world to be a certain way, God would make the world a certain way right now. But as we said last week, he's delighted and chooses to work slowly and patiently through human people with sometimes very little faith. Uh, so be encouraged this morning as we read this story. Acts 12 starts out with, with some difficulty. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. So King Herod was the, the, the power-hungry, tyrannical king who came from a long line of power-hungry, tyrannical kings. Um, he, it seems like there's a lot of those in the world, doesn't it? He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. Isn't it just like a politician? Oh, the people were okay with that. I think I'll do this. He's just trying to grab for power here. They, they, you can see that the, the king saw the church as a legitimate threat in the sense that the church was saying, Jesus is Lord. But the culture was saying, Caesar is Lord, right? So there's a... There's a something that's threatening to them. They don't want to deal with this uh, difficulty, so he, he did indeed kill James, the brother of John, and also seized Peter. And if you'll remember, Peter is like the prominent leader in the church right now. He's, he's the one that's been doing the majority of the ministry, but he's now becoming a marked man by the government. This happened during the festival of, of unleavened bread. Verse 4, after arresting him, he put him in prison handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Sixteen soldiers guarding this guy. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So if you can picture the, 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 uh, the highest leader in the church right now, the most influential leader in jail, being guarded 24-7. So Peter was kept in prison. This is a key sentence. But the church was earnestly praying to God, for him. So the church saw this leader being taken into prison. They began to pray fervently for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. I didn't ever notice that before I read this. He struck him on the side. That must have been startling. And woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angels told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. So this is the church 
gathering to pray for Peter, right? And here's where it gets funny. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed, and she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, it's funny, yeah. Peter's here. Peter's at the door. And these people that were praying for Peter in prison said to her, you're out of your mind. <laughs> They're praying for Peter, but they don't think it's possible that he's at the door. Very funny. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. <laughs> and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. Then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Again, this is earthly power. This is how kings do their business. Um, I think it's interesting. It, it says uh, Peter left and went for another place. Some people think that the reason they didn't say where he went specifically is because they didn't want someone to read this and find out where he was, which is kind of interesting to think that this is a, a document that was, had some effect in real time. So uh, then, in verse uh, 19, Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robe, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, This is the voice of a god and not a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. You know, the, the most, one of the most cool things that I have in my nerdy, perhaps, uh, um, mindset is when there are historical accounts that verify things that happen in the Bible. I think that's the coolest thing. So not an unchristian, unreligious uh, uh, historian, Josephus, who was writing at this time, describes this event that happened with Herod. Uh, Herod, Herod actually, it says, according to Josephus, he put on like a sequined golden outfit on his robes that would reflect the sunlight. And he went out there, and you know, all the kings back then wanted to be thought of as gods. He went out there, and people said, no, this is, this, he's a god, seeing his brightness, and, and he certainly didn't deny it. And according to Josephus, what happened to Herod? He dropped dead. According to the history books, I just love it when, when, when we have these sources, a lot of those uh, surrounding Jesus as well, that show you that, wow, this isn't just a random um, imaginings of, of someone or a group of people. This is the Word of God. Uh, and, and, and these are historical events that happened. And he, he was struck down, eaten by worms, and died. But the Word of God continued to spread and flourish. And I love that. I, I love the... Uh, Every, every time Luke is closing a passage or telling a story in Acts, he often will, will as if we, we needed assurance, he will say, and this all continued to propagate the Word of God. And the Word of God continued to spread because it was God's Word. And it was God's power going forth. And they might kill some of our people. Things might go dark. 
uh, and some he will set free. But ultimately, the kingdom is coming. The ministry is happening. So my question this morning is, you know, what was the work of the people in this passage? What did the people do in this passage? They prayed. That's right. They, had, they saw a problem. Uh, their leader was, was locked up in, in jail. And because of their love for him, they went into fervent prayer, which expressed a measure of faith in God. And then the second question is, what was God's work in this passage? Setting Peter free, literally from prison, presumably in response to the prayers of his people. Uh, what else did God do in this passage? He killed Herod. He put Herod to death. And the third thing is what I mentioned before. He continued to spread his word and cause it to flourish. This is, a, you know, in many ways a funny story about people asking God for something and then being shocked when he actually does it. We have Wednesday prayer meeting here uh, at 10 o'clock, and we, this was something that Linda Thomas uh, uh, came up with. We need to pray. We need to ask for God's protection. We need to ask for, uh, for things in faith that we know that we can't provide for ourselves. So we get into these prayer sessions, and we, pray, we do pray for some things that are rather outlandish, things that are, would require a miracle. And, uh, and as I was reading this passage about this prayer meeting, I couldn't help but think, to, think back to those Wednesday mornings when we pray together, you know, asking God to provide for us in these different ways that are, are supernatural. And, uh, you know, we talked about uh, how, how we, we basically have so many children in this church that our children's wing is full, but our sanctuary is not. And so we have this mismatch between the sanctuary and that. But we're always praying to God, give us wisdom. How can we possibly create enough space for our children. And I was thinking to myself, this story is like as if we prayed that, and then that day a phone call came, and we were like, oh, how did that even happen? Someone, someone you know, miraculously just put it on their heart to, to pay for this wing of the church? You know, th- that would be kind of like the, the same kind of thing. Um, praying for something, but yet not expecting it to happen. And, uh, and what, this, what this tells me is, looking at this passage, is God honored even these sort of half-hearted not quite faith-filled prayers of these people because of their love, because of their fervor. Uh, God honored them, even though they didn't actually seem to expect him to do (laughs) what they were asking. God honored it because God's grace, you know, we often think we need to have this certain way of praying or or think or thought process or we need to believe fully before something can happen. But but, uh, time and time again, we see that God's grace is deeper than we thought. And when we put forth our efforts in in spiritual discipline, whether it be praying, reading the Bible, sharing about our faith with with someone who doesn't know Jesus, our feeble efforts. And, and, you know, there's always so many stories in, like, the contagious Christian class where people say, oh, I tried sharing my faith with someone. It just went, you know, terrible, and it was so embarrassing. You know, but through that, it's a faith-filled action to just put yourself out there. It doesn't have to be perfect. And the grace of God lifts it up. And look, these people prayed for Peter to be released from prison without much expectancy, and God just did it. Took out 16 guards, knocked the shackles off his hands, opened the door, and set him free, and put him into witness protection somewhere. Because of the people's, like, half-hearted prayers. And, uh, and, and I just want to kind of, uh, I want everyone to take a collective sigh of relief and say, you know what? God's grace is great, and whatever I do to try to seek after him, like, it's, it's not about me doing enough to make God do something. 
God's like a father. He works with us like, like children. And when parents, when, uh, when, when children need to be brought along, you know, their parents lovingly do that. They bring them along. They don't, you know, say, oh, you fell off your bike, you know, I'm, I'm going to run over your bike with my car. You'll never ride bikes again, right? That's not how parents work with their kids, and it's not how God works with us. Um, I don't think that we should ever discount what prayer, even prayer which lacks conviction and full faith can do in God's hands because it's God's grace that lifts it up. God doesn't expect us to be perfect at it, and he's still pleased to use us uh, even, in our, even in our weakness. It reminds me of when Jesus taught in, in Matthew about prayer. And he was teaching against a certain kind of prayer where people prayed to be seen and blew trumpets and just made a big spectacle of it and used lots of eloquent language. Thou hast done these things in the past, Lord, and thou wilt do it again. And, you know, all these kinds of showy prayers. And Jesus says, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like those people that do babbly prayers. Uh, they think they're going to be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. Your mindset should be like this. God knows what I need before I ask him. That's how it works. Uh, it's not about having the magic formula. It's not about eloquence. It's just about simple faith, putting into practice a little something and, and, and doing it to honor God. And God sees that. In fact, it says in that same passage, when you pray, just go into your, go into your prayer closet. Go somewhere where no one can see you. In fact, that's what it says about all of the spiritual disciplines, whether you fast, whether you pray, whether you study. Do it to be seen by God, by no one else, but no one else. And God honors that kind of faith, just that simple coming to him. It doesn't have to be perfect. Just like a parent teaching their child, God does not smush us because we don't get it right the first time. His grace is so much greater. And he lifts us up and props us up. And if that weren't true, I wouldn't be standing before you. God has lifted me up and propped me up. And it's by God's grace that I preach to you each week for as long as he gives me the blessing to do that. So this story is about faith, about little faith, about the God of grace who meets us in our small efforts and, and completes them and makes them effective through this small prayer without much expectation, setting someone free from prison. Amazing stuff. It's also a story about the, the work that God does apart from us. Oh, God can do work apart from us? I thought we were so important. <laughs> you know, God does lots of work on his own. And God, I'm very well aware of this. I'm, I'm trying to become more cognizant of this in my everyday life. Right now, God is, believe it or not, at work in other churches in Saratoga. I know, I'm not even there. None of us are. <laughs> God can actually do it. You know, if I disappeared, you'd find a different pastor, and God will work through that guy, right? It's not going to happen. I'm not going to disappear. God's at work in other churches? Okay. I'm also aware that God's at work in marriages that are struggling in Saratoga between two people that don't know Jesus by his Spirit. Maybe they have a small Christian influence. Maybe they have a friend who's, who says, says, I'm praying for you at work, but God is at work even in these people that don't know Jesus, like independently of something I'm doing right now. And, uh, tr and truthfully, even, the part, even apart from Christian witness and people pointing to him, God is at work. God is at work. There are, there are things that God is doing that we don't know about. And uh, we need to pray for God to show us so that we can join him in our simple faith and prayer. Uh, uh, but there, there are things that God is doing downtown on a Friday night. You know? 
between a, in a group of a bunch of people that don't know Jesus, he's at work drawing people to himself. He's at work protecting people. He's at work sovereignly, and he's in control. Uh, and, this, and this is something I see in this passage through his work uh, in, in the prayers, but also his work in, in continuing to spread the gospel, and even his work in laying low the prideful and murderous King Herod. These are all things that God was doing, and this was his mission, his gospel that was being spread. But the thing that, uh, that we need to know is, though God is at work on his own, though God is at work through very small amount of Christian influence, so, though God is at work through, um, through the church certainly many times, Though, he is, though he's working in all these different ways, his delight as a father is to work with people. He wants to do his work and his kingdom uh, uh, expansion through people. Uh, and, and this is the only conclusion we can come to after reading the Bible. His preference is to work through people. If God wanted to, to save the whole world through the gospel, he could have done it. But he decided, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to use people. I'm going to use Peter. I'm going to use Paul. I'm going to use uh, New Life. I'm going to use the individuals here um, who express a little faith, and then I will do great things. God is sovereign. God's working in the background. He's always working, one way this way, one way the other way. We don't always see it. But his delight, God's preference, is to work through people. So, because of the grace of God, I think it just takes a little bit of surrendering to him on our part and saying, you know what, uh, I'm not going to put my confidence in my flesh. Uh, I'm going to put no confidence in my flesh. I'm going to put my confidence in the power of God, and I'm going to express some faith. I'm going to start praying. I'm going to start uh, uh, seeking after God, worshiping him, uh, and, and, and just seeing what he does, because it just takes a little bit of seeking after God, to see him do great things. That's, that's the story. Again, people that are praying and don't expect anything, open the doors of a prison and set a man free. It's just amazing stuff. The, the power of God is sometimes expressed most perfectly in the weakness of people who just put themselves out there. You got to take that first step. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward and lead us in a closing song. And I hope you're encouraged by this word. I just... I love to see these examples that we can so identify with and just being encouraged that God's grace is greater than we thought. And, I, and, I, and I, as we are closing today, um, just purpose in your heart to do something to draw near to God this week in secret. Um, don't take yourself too seriously, but do pray and believe that the Father knows what you need before you ask of him and is pleased to use you. In fact, he prefers it to even release captives from prison. Please join us in worship. If you do not have a relationship with the living God uh, through Jesus, all it takes is just a little faith, believing that Jesus paid the price for your sins on the cross and that he does want to connect with you. He does want to use you and walk with you like a good father. So if you would like to give your life to Jesus, um, just pray with me now. Heavenly Father, we recognize all of us that we're sinners. We've fallen short of your glory. But you pursued us, God. You provided a way for us to come directly into a relationship with you through no effort of our own. 
through the merits, through the payment that came through Jesus Christ's death on the cross, and through faith in him, uh, we can be set free from sin and death and have an assurance of, of uh, eternal life in you that starts now. Um, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Be the Lord of our lives. Let us draw near to you in faith in the coming days. Um, we praise you for being the God of the valley, the God who meets us in the darkness, the God who is our help in times of trouble, and the one who saves us and works in mysterious and surprising ways in our lives and all around us. We give you praise for the God that you are, and we give you glory. And for the rest of us, God, for all of us, uh, I, pr I pray for your church, Lord, that they would be encouraged to take their little faith and go into the secret place and pray and seek you. And I pray that you would reward them, God, that you would draw near to them. You would grow us and deepen us and strengthen the walls of our soul that we might carry more of you with us, that we might be used by you even to reach people who don't know you with the love and forgiveness that's found in Jesus Christ. We praise you. You are so much greater, God, so much bigger, so much more amazing than we could possibly imagine. Thank you for letting us see a glimpse of you today. In Jesus' name.